Well, good morning. It is good to be back with everybody again. Um, we're going to do something a little different today. My wife tells me that when every day is a little different, that I don't need to tell you it's going to be a little different, that you just know. But I tell her that there are visitors here who don't know how we work. So it's going to be a little bit different today. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 7, a little bit of chapter 5 as we pull this all together. And as we do all of that, I'll make sure this is where you can see it. As we do all of that today, I want to let you know it's been an amazing uh, 10 days in my life. 10 days ago, uh, I got on the plane with John and with Larry on a trip I didn't want to go on. It's kind of weird hearing a pastor say he doesn't want to go on a mission trip or something like that. But but I, I really, the day before we left, was telling Omar, if there was any way that I could send you and I could stay here, I just have too much to do. I just have too much to focus on, too many irons in the fire. And that, if there was any way, I would. And when I come down there, I talk to one of the pastors whose his wife is pregnant, very pregnant with their third child, and she's not feeling well. And I said, man, it's good to see you here. He said, David, I'm glad to be here. I have to be honest, I didn't want to be here. He said, my wife had to force me to come because I didn't want to, she's uncomfortable. It's, it's one thing we need to be praying for Sally now as any day now we're going to be meeting uh, their newest kiddo, Dash. But, but it's different to be uncomfortable in Costa Rica where we learned most houses don't have hot water. We found that out in the hotel. John gave us some, some tips about Makes you take short showers, right? And I go through that. And, and I just thought, man, well, I'm glad God brought, brought us both here. I don't know what he's up to, but, but we're glad that we're together. And so we, we came together and just had an interesting time. And, and the Lord's doing something in my life. He started it that weekend, very amazingly. We came back and got to worship with you guys. Um, once we got home, heard Pastor Omar's message. And then the Lord gave Christy and I a chance to have a little 24-hour um, bucket list kind of getaway uh, to watch the Astros play and just been running. But let me tell you what has happened in the last 10 days in my life, and, and that's all we're going to talk about today. Um, it's hilarious. So everything, Larry, that we taught those young pastors and that you heard, John, we're not going to practice today. We'll go back to that next week. Okay, so, so we tell these guys, like, we know you listen sometimes. Don't follow this sermon. Because <laughs> I just want to share my testimony of what God's been showing me in the last 10 days. Because it's different, and it's tied completely in to where we are and what we're doing. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look in verse 1 with me, if you have your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look in verse 1. It says this, working together with him then, and, and that then means we've got to go back. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And don't, don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't, don't let it be wasted is the first picture that came to mind. And, and, and John laughs about it. My driving, even my good driving is bad. I just, I'll own it now. I am not a great driver. And in a moment, I make a decision without consultation. So if I think I could get stuck in a river, I would rather floor it and see if I skip across the river than chance it going slow. That doesn't make sense if you're a car person. I get it. But if I just, so, so John's been on a trip with me before, and we're having uh, lunch, and there's a lot of traffic. And, and John says, man, that's a pretty four-lane road. Basically, he's just trying to say, don't ever take me on the coastal road again because I could die. 
And, and the coastal road's really difficult, and the way there is fine. There was just a lot of traffic. And so when someone says, try something new when it comes to, like, adventure, you don't have to say anything. I don't need any convincing. I'm in. Just, it's quickly, well, don't trust me. I've never been that way before. I'm like, don't trust me either. I've never been this way either. Let's go. And it was amazing for 15 minutes. And the next four hours of a two-hour drive was really long. It's funny. I know the way. I know how to get. It's really not hard to get to, no, to Nosara. You turn right out of the airport. You take that road for eternity. And then there's a dirt road that no one should turn on. You turn right on that road. And then you ride it for what feels like 80 miles when really it's 15. And then you turn right onto a worse road. And you ride that for another 15 miles. It's only 75 miles, four hours, not a joke. Right? We, we know the right way to go. But man, there's sometimes when, when I get tempted in my knowledge I'm just going to let that no longer influence my decision. Let's try something new. And so that's what happened on that trip. And some of you are not adventure takers, and you're like, why in the world would you risk breaking down on a road you've never been on in a country that that part you're not familiar of? And I'm like, why would you not? You know, I just, I, I just, I love that. But it started to put into context 2 Corinthians 6, and no kidding, that beginning of my trip has been a theme that's carried on through. I want you to look what was preceding 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Look back to verse chapter 5. This won't be on the screen because I didn't tell anybody I was doing this. So go look back to chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read some verses. I, I give you permission to check the context, to make sure that I'm preaching them how God intended them to be shared. I'm just not going to go through it all for time today. I want to walk you through this. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made with, not with hands, but eternal in the heavens. You see, there's a mindset change that's got to change in us, in me, to allow us to taste and see how good God is. And it begins with realizing that what we dwell in right now is a tent. It is not our home. It's not our landing place. It's, it's not something that we need to put our white picket fence around. Put a for sale sign. I was driving to church this morning. Saw a new for rent sign in the front of this person's house. With the arrow painting towards, pointing towards their neighbor. Thought, well that's interesting. <laughs> hint, hint. This temporary. And when we start to see our life as temporary, it changes everything about us. And you heard a little bit of that through Pastor Omar last week. When he challenged you on this mission that we're going on. Who's your one? See, who's your one is, who is the one person that you're praying for and you're intentionally preparing to tell about Jesus Christ to? Who are you? Who's your one? Who's your one who you're going to make sure that they know Jesus Christ? Now, here's the crazy thing. You and I aren't supposed to have one because Pastor Omar is a compelling speaker or preacher. Chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
You see, what God's called you and I into is a life that is wrapped around pleasing him. And when we wrap our lives around pleasing him, it changes our dynamic. It, it changes the way that we see things. So Christy and I had this amazing privilege. And I, it, was, it is a gift, once in a lifetime kind of thing, where we left Friday morning, flew up to Buffalo, New York, drove across the border to Canada, watched the Astros win, praise God, hallelujah, amen, woke up the next morning at 8.30, stopped, had lunch at Niagara Falls, were there for almost like an hour and a half, and then ran back and got on our plane and came home. That's all the romance I have in me, men. Like 24 hours. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> Took me 43 years to get that much. We're, we're running. And we get on the first plane. And I'm thinking about who's, who's my one. And, and, and Omar, we've been talking about who we're talking to Christ about. And, and I sit down and I make this conscious effort. Christy sits by the window. I normally sit on the aisle. And what am I praying when I sit along the aisle seat? That the plane's not full and no one sits between us. So that we can spread out. You know what spreading out looks like? In our family it just means like I don't have to touch anyone, you know, against me. It's just, we don't like, you know, cuddle. Which is a great thought for marriage preparation later on. We'll talk about it. We don't spread out. So, so this day, I sit next to Christy like I like her, and I leave the aisle seat open. What am I guaranteeing if I leave an aisle seat open? Somebody's going to sit by me. And so here, a young man gets his bag down. His family comes in. His mom and his dad sit over here on the wall across from me, and there's not a seat. The aisle seat's taken there, and he puts stuff up, and he sits down next to me, and, and the guy sitting next to his parents says, would you like me to switch with you? I was like, oh, that's really kind. So he says, yeah, that'd be great. Would much prefer to sit with my family than no offense. You guys. I was like, man, none taken. Made a little bit. And so here comes this other man. And I, I won't say his name that became one of the biggest blessings. It was, it was more beautiful than Niagara Falls. More impressive than the Astros. And he sat down next to me. And I pull out my Bible and I'm, I'm just journaling through it. Some thoughts. I'm, I've still got to preach Sunday so I want to get ready. And I'm, I'm writing some things down. So whether I'm at home or whether I'm away, I make it my aim to please him. Hmm. See, on a plane flight, I normally want to please myself. You hear me on that one? I normally want to take into account my comfort, my place. Heaven forbid I talk to someone who wants to talk more than I do. That's evil. That's like the Lord punishing me sometimes, right? Verse 16. Make sure I stay in context. Chapter 5, verse 16. So now, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once, regard according, once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God who gave us Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, when I'm sitting on that plane and this man comes in and in my sermon, I'm preparing for it. This is the backstory for the sermon. You weren't even supposed to get this. This was to prepare me. This place is a tent. I'm living for my home. Whether I'm at home or away on a plane to Baltimore. I make it my aim to please them 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. See, when I regard someone according to the flesh, I judge them, I measure them, I decide who I want, right? This is what you do. If you think your plane is full and you're sitting on the center row, if you don't do this, your pastor is not as good of a person as you are. And there's people coming by, and you know it's full, because I ask the flight attendant every time. I judge it, and the person often who looks like they will infringe on me the least is what I'm in for. Right? If you don't do that, it's okay. But I do. So I move it out of my way. I don't want to be fringed on. That's thinking of people in the flesh. Thinking of how someone could inconvenience you or change your day. Thinking of how when you, when you have an opportunity to aim to please God and you walk by someone who might infringe on a little bit of your rights, on a little bit of your space, on a little bit of your day. That's judging people according to the flesh. And as I'm preparing for the sermon, and this man has just traded seats with me, and he put earphones in, and earphones are the universal sign of, I don't want to talk to anybody. Lord, I don't want to regard him to the, according to the flesh. How do I regard him according to the spirit? Uh, he's got the earphones in, which means me, leave me alone. But you've given me a ministry of reconciliation. I don't know him. He's not my one. He's not on the piece of paper. Did God call me to only minister to my one? Or is that just like a tie, the starting place for those of us without discipline? Oh, I, sorry about that. Right? We, we, we just start with one. And I have, I've got my one. I've got it on the piece of paper and I'm praying for I love them desperately. They're, they were on my heart before we ever had a card. And this person is not who's about to be one of the best blessings of my week. And so I'm journaling in my Bible. Regard no one according to flesh. You've given me a right. How do I share this with your flock, Christ? How do I let them know that you have them right where you have them on purpose. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him. If I'm going to please him, I'm not working alone. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Lord, don't let me treat your grace like I treat a new route to Nosara in Costa Rica. You didn't let him change seats in vain. I don't know what he's here for other than maybe he just needed someone who wouldn't bother him. So I closed my Bible and finished journaling through this section. was in there and was back in Numbers. Finish it up and putting it away. I've downloaded a movie. One's Mission Impossible. The other one's I Can Only Imagine. It's I'm wading through, figuring out which one to be. And I look over and he's got Luke chapter 1 on his phone. And he hasn't moved it for about 30 seconds. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, you should move in less than 30 seconds. Chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, Lord. I don't want to receive your grace in vain. And Lord, I don't know who he is or where he is or what's going on in his world. So I do kind of the, the bro tap your elbow you don't you don't touch a man like this other men right you're like pardon me sir we don't do that right we kind of the bro tap I'm like hey that's a good book you're reading there and he pulls his earphones out he goes oh thank you he goes i guess that's a good one you're reading too 
I said, it is. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that why you're reading that book? Mm. He said, yes, kind of. He said, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't see how it always makes sense. I said, I, no, I get it. I get it. Said, what do you do for a living? We kind of talked. He said, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, I'm, just, I'm caught. I'm a pastor. He says, can I ask you a question? Sure. What does it mean to be a disciple? Who's your one? Don't let the grace of God be wasted. Don't regard anyone according to the flesh. My aim is to please him. This world is my tent. And he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus commands us who follow him to go and make disciples and baptize them and to teach them what, what does that mean? What would you tell me? And at this point, the lady catty corner to us who, who, who belongs to a Catholic church, we find out later on, starts leaning in for the next two and a half hours of our conversation. The mom sitting between her husband and her son can't stop peeking forward. The young college student sitting behind us couldn't stop smiling and glancing our way on the way out. Who's your one? What does it mean to be a disciple? I said, well, to start it off with, it means more than just telling Jesus you love him. You see, because... When we take the grace of God and it becomes vain in our life, it means it doesn't function, it doesn't work. Our pastors in Costa Rica, we've sent missionaries down there through the decades to Central America. And we evangelized Central America and then we left. We didn't make disciples. And so they put Jesus in the middle of everything else. And I said, so I want you to know that your relationship begins, it begins with confessing Jesus Christ as Savior. You believe that he is God's son and he is able to die and rise again for your sin because he's the perfect son of God, God in the flesh. But you also confess him as Lord, which means master, you give your life to him. I said, if I were to, to tell you Jesus called the disciples, I would say that, that he says, come follow me. A disciple is someone who's called by Jesus Christ. And I will make you that Jesus Christ is changing that person's life from that point on until eternity. Fishers of men. And that person is committed to the call and the mission of Christ above all else in this life. That's what it means. 
And you know what happened? He didn't go, ah, I get it. It's amazing. He says, I don't understand. I said, well, let me show you. And I, and I told him, just like I would tell you today, this is in the Bible, but this is our way of understanding it. So I draw this picture that you see around church sometime. And I drew it like this to start with. I would never draw it this way again. And I said, a disciple's life comes with being born again in Jesus Christ. You can't be a disciple if you're not born again in Christ Jesus. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. If that's what you think, it's vain. If you go and walk the rest of all of what I'm going to talk about, it, it is the rest of it. You're, it's going to be in vain. And so I, so I tell him, it starts with building a biblical foundation. Understanding that God has made me to be around other Christians just for regular life. And I'm to share life with them. And that I'm supposed to know God's word. And I'm supposed to learn about habits that God has given us and and then after after we share that God makes this purpose for all of this biblical knowledge that we keep learning and learning to be used to connect us with God with his bride and with his call on our life that that's what he's that's what he's made it for. And if we just learn, if we just learn, if we just learn, and we don't ever use or put that knowledge to do the will of our Father, which is to be in relationship with him and to be relationship with his church and to find our callings. If we don't do that, we just become these heady Christians who can speak a lot, who have no idea what we're talking about. And said, sometimes we just think, I need to learn all the Bible so that I can do this. And then I said, as we mature, we see that God calls us to serve him. And we want to do that effectively. We want to do that with others. And then we want to lead as God gives us opportunity because we're maturing. We started in life, but we're maturing to this point. And then God sends us out to make disciples because we can only make disciples of those who we follow. And I said, does that make sense? And you know what he says? I have a notebook. I'll forget everything you just said. Would you mind drawing for me? I love you, Lord. So we start drawing this out. And I see, he said, but here's the problem. He said, I, I kind of get stuck here a little bit. And it made me think of you. How many times have you read the Bible and not had a clue what it was saying? Like you want to read it, but it doesn't make sense. Peter calls Paul's words hard. Calls them difficult. So I said, well, you're reading Luke. I don't know what you do. That's my wife's favorite book, uh, the gospel. I said, do you know how the gospels were written? Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. It's filled with the Old Testament. But if you don't know the Old Testament, it's probably really confusing. Because there's a lot of words and a lot of things that it points to that you aren't aware of. Luke is a doctor, so he makes an orderly account. That's what the Bible says. I write to you, Theophilus, so to give you an orderly account of these things. I said, Mark was, must have been a teenager, Lord of mercy. He was direct and to the point. He wanted to show how Jesus was practicing the will of God. And so the first half of the book is about Jesus' whole life. The last half of the book is about the Passion Week to the resurrection. That's it. He just wants you to know, to know, to know that Jesus is at work doing the will of his Father. And I said, John is my favorite book 
Because from start to finish, he tells us this, that he wrote all of these things so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I said, so if you start in one place over another, one writer may not make as much sense at the beginning than the rest because God wired you and created you differently. And then I started thinking, this is why we learn our Bible. This is why we're memorizing scripture, not so that we can win a Bible drill contest. Not so that people can, can see us in our Bible answer man costume. Because the Bible says this, that God gave us through his son the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings to our remembrance, this is what Scripture says, all that we have learned. How is he going to bring something to our remembrance if we haven't gotten to know his word? Our verse this month, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man of God will be equipped all the time. You see, we have to know our word. We, we have to get into it. And so I write this out and I said, so a disciple, if you were to ask me, is someone who is constantly knowing that the bride of Christ is his eternal family and he wants to be around it as much as possible. A disciple in Christ is someone who wants their mind wrapped around the Lord and learning for the rest of his life. It never stops. A disciple is someone who is praying that God would allow him to use what God has given him in his word to understand and develop a relationship with him and in his church. And a disciple is someone who matures into servanthood, serving the Lord in his kingdom and making other disciples and never stops. And you know what he said? He said, I think I get stuck here. I said, I know. Chapter 6. Verse 3. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But we as servants of God commend ourselves in, excuse me, in every way by great endurance and affliction and hardships and calamity and beatings and imprisonments and riots and labors and sleepless nights and hunger. By purity, by genuine love, by truthful speech, by the power of God with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand, of, right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors yet are true. We are unknown yet we are well known. We are dying. Behold, we live. We are punished and we are not killed as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing poor but making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Walking with Christ is going to find yourself with obstacles in your way. It's going to happen. And he said, I feel like I can't be out here because I'm not sharing Jesus. I'll write as well with my finger. I'm not sharing Jesus. So if I'm not sharing Jesus here, how can I be growing as a disciple at all? Now we have to decide. Do we want the biblical answer or the answer that we've given ourselves to make ourselves comfortable? Mm. He's sincere. So in that moment, I'm praying. Say, we can only lead others 
where we have been ourselves. But it's scary. It's scary when we're young to start things out. I said, you know, there's a reason for that. One, someone might, might think or make you think you're accountable to share more than you have because you've been in church the whole time. Someone may make you think that you must have all the answers to talk to anybody about Jesus. Church, here's the deal. You can only lead people where you've been. You can't lead to people to understand biblical community if you don't exist and live in it. You can't tell them about it. You can tell them what you think it is and act like you're brilliant. But, but unless you're experiencing it, you can't talk about it. You can't talk about a prayer life. You can't talk about this and that. Does that mean you're not supposed to talk at all? Absolutely not. You should strain is what the Bible says. Paul says we strain for what's before us. We strain for the goal. We strain for the prize. You see, when the obstacles come in your way, we have one of two things to do. We can pretend that we have something that we don't. That's a lie. That's inauthentic. That doesn't please our Father. Two... We can be complacent. You see, because as we grow our life in Christ, I'm going to keep doing this for a little bit today. As we grow in our life in Christ, sometimes we get diverted. See, Paul says in chapter 7, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body, the spirit, bringing holiness to the completion of the fear of God. He, it's amazing, and you can read all of it. Make sure it comes together. I give you permission. As we read and all this comes together, we start to see and we start to understand that the promises of God are what we are living for and what we are living in. But when we find ourselves not living as a disciple of Christ Jesus, the Bible doesn't say quit. It says cleanse yourself. You live in the promise. You've been washed with the blood of the Lamb, chapter 5. Therefore, in Christ, I'm a new creation. I don't regard even myself according to the flesh. You see, this is when we got off. Because when we sin, we have this conviction that comes in. And here's what we do. We tell other people, don't regard yourself according to the flesh. But what we judge ourselves on is what? The flesh. Go to verse 10 of chapter 7. This is what the flesh does in your body. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. What Paul has brought to the Corinthian church is conviction. And what the world says. W-O, I can spell. What the world says. Is your past sin makes you inadequate. Your life isn't perfect. You're a failure. You can't please God. Your life is here. 
So don't talk to anybody about Christ because they'll call you a hypocrite. Don't you dare step outside of your lane because who are you? If they knew your sin, would they ever talk to you? If they, if they knew where you had been, would they esteem you? If they knew. Have you ever felt death like that before? See, that's what the world does when conviction comes in so that we do not grow in Christ. It says death is all you're worth. So you can't have a one. You can't do it. Because at best you're a failure and immature. At worst you know your sin and what happens if someone else finds out where you've been to. Worldly grief leads to death. Chapter 10, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 10. But godly grief. You see, grief is necessary, church. Godly grief doesn't taste like death. It says it leads to repentance. Towards salvation. That's what scripture says. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without what? Say it with me. One, two, three. Regret. Without regret. You see, on this ride, I started to understand it. That, that when we're living in worldly grief, it tastes like death. But we come to church and we talk about God and his grace and his grief. And we mean it for everyone else. But we won't lead anyone to Christ because we're still walking towards death. Repentance that God gives you. That's created by his conviction when you've sinned. It, it, it leads you to salvation. It's the direction sign. Here it is. It's not about you. We regard no one to according to the flesh. It's not about you. We aim to please him, whether we're home or away. It's not about you. The life you live is a tent. Eternally, you have a building in heaven. If you are in Christ, when conviction comes, allow the grief of God to wash over you. And let repentance follow. Because that's where the road to salvation points. That's where you re-engage. It's not that you lose your salvation. It's that you're living in death in this tent. Repent. Get on the road to salvation. Follow him. And what he said to me there, and I don't know if the Lord will ever let our paths cross again. But it's where I knew I needed to share the story with you. He said, that's where I am. You see, I, I believe that he'd confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before I sat down. But I also believe that he was in a trap that many of us find ourselves in. Of grieving over our sin with a worldly grief that paralyzes 
and stains and makes life distasteful. That keeps us away from him. So that we won't repent. So that although we proclaim Christ, we don't live in the freedom that he's given to us. Paul says to end chapter 6, we have opened our hearts to you. And you have restricted your hearts from us. Chapter 7, he says, open your hearts. Church, I don't know where you are this morning. I will tell you the Lord is moving in this place. I spoke with Mike Howell, who led last week in worship. He said, David, this isn't the same place I was even in two years ago. You can feel the Lord beginning to move. Oh, that you wouldn't be left behind. Oh, that the obstacles that come in your way wouldn't trip you up from being the disciple of Christ God called you to be. Oh, that you wouldn't let your lack of knowledge be a hindrance to seeking Him more or to sharing at least where you've been. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. You are not to be regarded according to the flesh anymore, even by yourself. So be about your work, ministry of reconciling. The Lord is reconciling the world through his son. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, and that includes you. Who's your one? You're worthy enough because of the blood of Christ to have at least one, I promise. You are the Lord's one. He made sure that you knew that you had hope. In just a moment, we have that time of invitation. Here's what I need you to know. If you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. I was freaking out when David had that lighter under that balloon. It's a good five-second illustration, but to live it for a long time, my heart's racing. Let me tell you, church, as you start living in Christ longer and longer, the fire comes on, the obstacles will come on, you'll feel more and more heart racing. It's okay. Because all those obstacles are in your way. You aren't living to please yourself or to others, whether home or away. You please Him. So you just regard everyone according to the Spirit. Your vilest enemy, your attacker, Golly, maybe in this room it's your husband or your wife. You regard them according to the Spirit and give up your privilege. So that you can open your heart to them. We have these mass shootings all around us, it seems like. Church. One moment of conviction, if I might. 
if we cared as much about people knowing Jesus Christ as we did our political opinion, revival would start here. Next month, we'll be celebrating missions. We'll have Camp Hope, a mission fair on the 27th, looking at all the ways we can partner with others so that one might know the name of Christ. Would you prepare your heart now? In Christ, there's nothing holding you back but you. Paul says you restrict yourself. Stop. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this passage can be for you. But it will not be for you until you understand that you are God's one. For all have sinned, that includes you, and have fallen short of the glory of God. You do not measure up. But God offers you this free gift of life, eternal life in exchange for the death that you hold. And it is available through one and one alone. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're his one. Church, God is moving. It's so good. I wish I could go on for two more hours to tell you the rest of our conversation. And then the one that I didn't want to have on the way home. God is moving. Regard no one according to the flesh. This world is not your home. Do not let grace of God invested in you be wasted. You are his bride. His love, his one. Let's pray. Father God, you're good. You're faithful, you're kind, and you're true. And I praise you for my friend who sat next to me, God. Not for what I could share, God, but with what he could share with me. What you would share with me. Lord, let us not be a church. Let us not be a people where we put our measuring stick up against everyone else to decide who is worthy. Because God, if I measure myself, I feel like death. But God, I do not measure myself according to the flesh, but I regard even me according to the Spirit. Because of Jesus Christ, you changed everything. So, Lord, set our hearts on you. Let us commit and covenant God to start with one and never stop. In Jesus' name, amen.